Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson, and today is July 13th. This is episode 51. Well, just ahead, how does JP Morgan stay ahead when it's already ahead? We'll hear from CEO Jamie Dimon. Plus, we'll look at a drug maker making the most boring medicines sexy again. It's wet. And the CEO of Controversial Loop Industries, a big target of short sellers, joins us to defend his company, a company that has yet to sell any of its product. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot And did you know you can listen to The Drill Down on your smart speaker? Just turn to that speaker and say something like, Hey Alexa, play The Drill Down podcast and listen to us every day. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind Stocks in a Move. Joining me to help me do that, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, tell me the three most important developments in the world of business today. Corey, let's get to it. Number one, U.S. inflation continued to accelerate in June. In fact, it sped up at the fastest pace in 13 years. The Labor Department said last month's consumer price index increased 5.4% from a year ago, the highest 12-month rate since August 2008. As you know, CPI measures what consumers pay for goods and services, including clothes, groceries, restaurants, restaurant meals, recreational activities, and vehicles. All right, here's your takeaway. One-third of that increase was used cars. Yeah. The price of used cars going through the roof. You could sell your car, but then how are you going to get around? Walk. Oh. Horse and buggy. Old, old time. <laughs> now, number two, investment powerhouse Vanguard is making its first ever corporate acquisition. Vanguard is buying Just Invest. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. The paper says Just Invest will help Vanguard advisors customized portfolios. Vanguard is best known for funds that track indexes, and Just Invest provides tools for investors and advisors to build bespoke portfolios. Vanguard oversees some almost $8 trillion in assets and will gain roughly $1 billion in assets managed by Just Invest. Uh, Jack Vogel uh, famously did not like to do things that way, uh, but he passed away two years ago. So company kind of joining the modern days, moving fast by buying, not by building. It's a new era at Vanguard. And finally, our last business story that we're going to talk about today, Google fined $593 million by French antitrust authorities for failing to negotiate a deal in, quote, good faith with publishers. This is a victory for media companies that have been fighting to make up for a drop in advertising revenue that they attribute to Google. Now, the case has been closely watched because it is one of the first attempts to apply a new copyright directive adopted by the EU that intends to force internet platforms to compensate news organizations for their content. Google has uh, two months to come up with a plan to compensate news publishers or more fines may be handed out. That's a big fine, and obviously they're also concerned about what might happen from U.S. legislators uh, to fight the power of mighty Google. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, let's start with one of the big ones. Uh, we couldn't ignore J.P. Morgan Chase. Actually, a really interesting report. Yeah, J.P. Morgan shares fell 1.7% today, though. But for the last 12 months, the shares are higher by 59%. What's the story with J.P. Morgan today? 
So it was a good quarter uh, overall for the company, and it's been a good time for the bank. A couple of units really stood out. So they, they sort of they give you lots of information in this call. One of the things they do is give you uh, a segment by segment the different business units, and most of them were up kind of single digits quarter over quarter, and indeed year over year. A few stood out. Though, I'll just mention four: uh, consumer and business banking up fifteen percent year over year. Home lending revenues up twenty percent year over year. All right, so that's we know house prices are going up, and that's going to be more fee of you know bigger. The same percentage of a more expensive house is going to give you bigger fees, and those revenues responded. They have real estate market very hot. Equity markets also very hot. Volatility very high, um, up thirteen percent year over year. And finally, asset and wealth management net revenues up twenty percent year over year. Good news for. Kirsten Lemkow, who runs that business, uh, of course, sister of her old friend Holly, her former colleague. Uh, but uh, she took over that division about a year ago, and it's growing fantastically, the fastest growing part of that uh, mighty J.P. Morgan. I thought it was really interesting in the conference call to hear from CEO Jamie Dimon about managing what are really good times at J.P. Morgan and how he you know, tries to approach that as a leader of his company by, and among other things, acknowledging that these are, in fact, good times. Look at the flows across this company. Look at the debit card, the credit card, the trading flows, the market share. The, that's what I look at much more than, you know, what are the ups and downs, the earnings this quarter because of Cecil. I don't think that means anything for the future of the company. I mean, our bankers, our traders, our credit card, our debit card, our merchant services, our auto business, our digitization, it's, it's doing pretty good. I mean... I look read these reports and my God, the company's doing quite fine. And, uh, and yeah, and we'd like to be a little critical of ourselves because I think when companies aren't, that's part of their failure. They should look at what they didn't do well and what other people have done well and, and, um, and so and be prepared. And, and, and they have a really fair assessment of the competition. It is very large and it's going to be very tough. That does not mean that J.P. Morgan won't win. It just means their eyes are open. So I, I just thought there was kind of a forceful look at how things are going and mindful that things could even go better no matter how well they're going. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at PLX Pharma. PLX Pharma trades under PLXP. Shares rose 27% today, and for the last 12 months, shares have gained 450%. What's the story with PLX Pharma? So PLX Pharma announced the launch of its Vasilor product will now be available in Walmart stage stores nationwide. That sounds like an ad. Uh, the company said that three of its SKUs of Vasilor, which is a U.S. Wait, FDA what is Vasilor? What is Vasilor? Well, that's a good question. It's aspirin in capsules, but All it's right. liquid aspirin. And it's going to be available in 4,500 uh, Walmart stores in three different SKUs. So this is really important because... A lot of people just can't handle the um, the gastrointestinal side effects of taking those aspirin pills. So when, you're, when you have a heart attack or a stroke or something and your doctor says, I want you to take aspirin X amount of times a, a day or a week or whatever, some people just can't handle it. And so they just kind of fall off and stop doing it. So they uh, doctors want to prescribe regular doses of aspirin to reduce the chance of heart attacks. But just not everyone's stomach can handle that until now. Here is the CEO, Natasha Giardino. This is not today. It was a couple of days ago or a couple of weeks ago at an investor conference where she kind of talked about uh, what this means for the company, where they are, and how they're going to uh, deal with this. The doctor is a driver of therapy. This patient has had an event. They've had a heart attack, had a stroke. 
they're very afraid of having another one. So they're listening to their cardiologist and that they will be the um, ultimate purchaser of the product. So we need to make sure both the cardiologist and the consumer are very well versed on the innovation, innovative aspirin. And as we get closer to launch in just a few short weeks, we'll get to share more details on our distribution and that our recent capital raise has said to be able to fund the Vasilor launch for at least the next two years. So we're pretty excited to get to what we do best and launch products. So an interesting company that they're taking kind of existing uh, medicines and just finding better ways to deliver them in liquid form. Are they going to call it Vasilor? Is that the that the name of the product? Yeah, man. Like, and it sounds like they're going to plaster 60 minutes or whatever, whatever old people watch to, right. <laughs> and they get bombarded by these ads. Vasilor is coming. Vasilor. All right. Old people like me. Corey, what's the next drill down? Let's look at ConAgra brands. The ConAgra trades with the ticker CAG. Shares fell over 5% today. And for the last 12 months, shares have fallen over 4%. So what's going on with ConAgra? Well, ConAgra, just a big, you know, big real estate, big real estate, big agriculture company, um, and really kind of touches the ag business across all kinds of different places. I thought the most interesting thing to hear from them would be their view on inflation and how inflation works. Farmers are very price sensitive. Uh, they don't like when prices change a lot, when they got to buy stuff because they've got such a slow output, right? It takes a while to grow things depending on the thing. Can take even longer. And uh, so they talked about how inflation works at this company and how uh, how they deal with kind of passing on costs to their customers. They'd call it, you know, taking price, but they don't they don't generally use the word inflation or jacking prices. But um, it was what interesting to me is that they sort of see it as a as a headwind in the short term and a tailwind in the long term. Here is CEO Sean Connolly. This is the way these pricing, these acute inflationary periods work. The, the, you get, the, the inflation is your foe in the early days, and it can be your friend you know, as you lap it in the first quarter or two that you lap it because you got the pricing at that point baked in, and hopefully you've reached a new equilibrium in terms of cost, and you start to see, you see meaningful margin recovery. Um, that's why you know, on a kind of a rolling 12-month basis, once we get through this first quarter, you're going to see – you're going to at that point in time, you're going to see a very strong performance in the business overall. But, you know, this is why uh, being fulsome in our, in our uh, approach to offset inflation, including broad-based in pricing across their, our categories, across the portfolio, is a, is a huge piece of the game. And, and I'm very pleased to see that the team is executing it the way we want it. So maybe inflation not so bad for them over the long haul if it doesn't get out of control. And indeed, they think it's going to help once they do raise prices and maybe are they able to pull back on their costs, but the price uh, hikes might stay. All right, well, coming up next, we're going to look at a controversial company called Loop Industries. It was the target of a, of a, a hard-hitting investigative report by a company called Hindenburg Research, some guys who are short the stock. They did some work. We're going to hear from the CEO, Daniel Solomita, who's going to tell us about his reaction to that report and uh, defend his business that has yet to sell any of its product. But first. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. 
powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And remember to join the drill down on Twitter and Instagram at drilldownpod. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. All right, welcome back to the drill down. We're lucky to be joined by Loop Industries CEO, Daniel Solomita, joining us right now from Miami, although typically in Montreal. Um, glad to have you. Uh, I'll ask you the question I ask all the CEOs we have on the show. How does your company, Loop Industries, make money? Well, right now we're pre-revenue, so we're not making money yet. But So you spend money. We, we spend like a me. lot of money. Yeah. You just spend money. <laughs> so we're an industrial technology company where we've been you know, developing our technology over the past six years. Um, getting up, going from you know, pre-lab scale to lab scale, uh, pilot scale, demonstration facility, and now going up to commercial scale facilities and really going with uh, the mindset of design one, build many where the engineering that you do for one facility is leveraged multiple times. And so that's, uh, that's where the stage we're at right now. So what is the product? What is, what is, what, what makes it special? Well, if you think about loop, we're a petrochemical manufacturer. So we manufacture two petrochemicals, dimethyl therephthalate, DMT, which is a white powder and monoethylene glycol, which is a clear oily liquid. Both of those two chemicals, petrochemicals uh, start off from fossil fuels. But those are the base building blocks that go into making PET plastic, the number one used plastic for packaging. So water bottles, soda bottles, shampoo, those type of containers, ketchup, mayonnaise, and polyester fiber for carpets and clothing. So those are the two base ingredients that go into making all of those products. So we manufacture the exact same petrochemicals, except we start with the waste plastic. So we'll start with an old polyester sweater or an old polyester carpet, break it down into those petrochemicals, purify them back and then build them back into a brand new piece of plastic. That's the way we can take an old polyester shirt and turn that into a water bottle for one of our customers. One expression says the devil's in the details. The other one, Mies van der Rohe said, God is in the details, um, uh, perhaps both. Uh, it seems to me that the details you're talking about is the ability to, you know, obviously make this cheaply because it's not, it's a pretty cheap, you know, you're, even though you might be green, you're competing against some really cheap stuff and even at $75 oil. Um, and then how much you can get out of, you know, what, what your inputs are. Talk to me, is, is, is that right, the right way to think about sort of the chemistry challenge here? Yeah, I think that really what Loop has, has invented is the chemistry to be able to break that down. And what we've done different, depolymerization has been around since the 1960s. Uh, there's three right. forms, hydrolysis, glycolysis, methanolysis. So that was invented when in plastic PET was invented, they invented how to break it down. The fail point and why it's never been successful at commercial scale is because everyone uses, or the thought process was always to use high heat and high pressure with a metal catalyst to break down that plastic. So you needed to put it under a very stressful environment, very harsh conditions to break it apart. That leads to higher costs low, You know, in a chemical process when you use high heat and high pressure, you favor side reactions. So you'll have yield losses, you'll have extra costs, more expensive, worse environmental footprint. So really what Loop's done and how we maintain costs uh, lower is by doing everything at low temperature. So our depolymerization is done at below 85 degrees Celsius. And that's the key because you gotta think we're bringing in waste material. So the feedstock coming in is not clean, clear bottles. We're dealing right. with carpets, we're dealing with clothing. All of these different plastics have different materials of construction. 
If you think about polyester carpets or clothing, you have a lot of nylon or cotton blends. Even a PET water bottle, you have about three or four different materials of construction. The cap is a different type of plastic. The body is going to be PET. The label is something else. The glue that holds the label. So when you have all this mixture, if you put it under high temperature, all of those things are going to start breaking down and mixing together. And that's where you're going to have a lot of contamination. Our technology at low temperature only specifically targets the PET and polyester. So if you have nylon or cotton or polypropylene, all of that just gets filtered out of our process. And that's what allows us to maintain costs uh, on the uh, lower side. But I think to answer your question, there's a lot of things that are driving the market. So yeah, we're going against the commodity resins that are of course, yeah, very, yeah. Very, very cheap. But you know, with legislation coming in, especially mm -hmm. on Europe is basically you know, declared war on petroleum-based plastics. They're putting taxes on it when you buy it. They're taxing the brand owners if it's not recycled. So they're making an environment where recycled material is going to be cheaper because they're taxing the virgin material so much. We've seen that in California as well with their new laws coming out in 2025 and 2030 where brand owners have to have you know, 25 or 50% recycled content. Yeah, it's a, obviously a big change in the world's moving towards it. And I'm, I continue to be amazed at how many conference calls I listen to where the executives, including in the oil and gas industry, are talking about, you know, ESG and how important it is to their business and, and a bigger understanding of that. So I get that part. Um, the science itself, you talk in your your SEC filing, your 10K, about uh, your your first-gen technology and your second-gen technology. What, what was the difference? What was the real big learning there? The first-gen was a hydrolysis-based technology. Um, so hydrolysis, there's water involved in the process. And so, again, that was back when we founded the company. It was a hydrolysis space. Again, low temperature. Everything we've always do is with the mindset of doing this at low temperature under very you're Canadian. mild It's got to be cold. you got to be able to play hockey outdoors. <laughs> you got to be able to do it at low temperatures. There, there you go. That must be why we're thinking this way. <laughs> and so we went from pre-lab scale, lab scale, built a pilot plant, and then you know, producing really good material from our pilot plant. The quality was excellent. We were providing it to all of the customers. They were, you know, satisfied. This is virgin quality material. And when you're going from pilot scale to do the engineering for a full scale facility, that's when you really start seeing all of the different costs in the process. And like you said, we got to maintain, we got to, you know, keep costs in check because there is a limit to what people will pay for this material. And so going through that exercise, uh, the chemists uh, that we have, these brilliant, you know, brilliant set of chemists. We have there's about 35 chemists working for us, um, and the team really did an amazing job on trying to find a way to purify PTA uh, in a more economical fashion, and that led us to the breakthrough for the Gen 2 technology. So that you know, from 2018 till today, we've been developing our Gen 2 technology and really moving forward on that. So again, starting off. You know, you got to prove it at lab scale pilot and then demonstration facility and now going up to commercial scale. But we so, immediately yeah, so, knew that the, we had a, a really a winner on our hands because of the learnings we had from the Gen 1 experience. So where are you right now in terms of, you, you call them customers, but obviously they're not customers because nobody's paying you yet. But uh, when you get there, potential customers, surely, um, wh where are you in this sort of process of proving out this, um, this technology and your ability so to do it at scale? So the technology is proven out. Uh, our demonstration facility has a capacity where you know any partners or customers, such as you know SK, our partner that we just signed a big deal with for the Asian market, Suez for the European market, or any of our 
customers where we have contracts signed with these companies. We don't supply them yet because we're still pre-revenue. Uh, but all of our customers, anyone could come and see the exact technology that we're doing that's going to be done at commercial scale at our demonstration facility. So, you know, you take the time. We've, when you're building an industrial technology, you need to take the time to make sure that you're verifying every single piece of equipment and you understand how it works, you understand what it does for you, and you're making sure that it's the best uh, equipment on the market to be able to perform. And so we've done that successfully. We took our time, we made sure we brought in every piece of equipment that we need to verify at a scale that's really easy to scale up to full-scale commercial facility. And now we're finishing off the engineering package for the full-scale commercial facilities where we have three what projects. Does uh, Those are essentially so the architecture? Yeah, like the like an architect building a house, finishing off the all of the engineering, so all of the piping, all of the equipment, all of the you know going to the pumps, the valves, the controls, how this is going to operate. At the end of the day, it's a petrochemical plant, so you want to make sure safety, security, all of those things have to be properly verified. And we work with uh, Worley, the large uh, EPC contractor, engineering, procurement, and construction company from Australia, who have a big presence in uh, the oil and gas industry. And so they work with our team and they do all of the process engineering for our technology. How does, explain to me the contracts that you've got with, with Suez and with SKG. What's the, because, because the product isn't, you know, the factory isn't built, the product isn't being created yet. How do, what do those contracts look like? So those are industrial partners for us. So those are partners where we want to move into different regions. So the way we thought about it is saying, you know, North America, Canada, US, we can manage those on our own. But when we want to start building things and operating plants in Europe and Asia, you want to find the right strategic partner to be able to do that with, especially the Asian market, because it is foreign. And, you know, we have to be careful with intellectual property and make sure that we're working with really great companies. And so we needed to find the right strategic partner. And, and actually, SK found us where last year um, they contacted us and said, you know, we're looking to get into the plastics and the green, everything that they do right now. They're obviously a large, the SK group is a large conglomerate of, you know, over 100 companies. As big as they get, yeah. Yeah, as big as they get. And everything from, you know, computer chips and life sciences and oil and gas and, and plastics and petrochemicals. And so they contacted us and said they see the world moving towards ESG and the green. And they say that, you know, their belief is that chemical companies are going to have to move in that direction as well. So they're trying to find ways to to develop that market. And they were looking across, you know, the entire globe, looking at who has the best technology in the plastic space for chemical recycling. And, uh, you know, we started talking to them last summer. Spent the first two months just getting to know them, understanding, is this the right partner for us to move into Asia with? Once we decided that we want to do something together with them, we started a deep uh, technical due diligence that started in September of last year. Um, traveling during the pandemic was a little bit challenging, especially at those days. And so most of it was done remotely where, you know, they had a team of 20 or 30 chemists and engineers on the Zoom calls with our guys and really exchanging all of the different information for our technology. And they did just, they, the amount of due diligence that they did was just incredible because uh, they have a skilled team of chemists and engineers and uh, very, Surely, yeah. and they're very knowledgeable in this space. So they really so what did would, their job. So what are they agreeing to do then? Uh, to buy your product or to manufacture it for you once you build your plant in Canada or what? No, so SK bought 10% of Loop. So they bought 10% of Loop for $56.5 million. 
Um, so they own 10%. They're the second largest shareholder in the company behind me. And we're forming a JV to take our technology and expand it across Asia. So for, you know, it's a joint venture, 51% SK, 49% Loop. And now we're building our first facility is going to be in South Korea, uh, south of Seoul in Uslan, where they have a petrochemical complex. So we're taking our technology, that engineering package I was referring to that really does the design on the process side, and we're going to be building this chemical plant in Korea to service the Korean market. And then we have, you know, we, we've, uh, we have a plan to expand into China, Japan, Vietnam, and, and quickly, uh, quickly invest and, and expand all across Asia to supply the brand owners with PET resin that goes back into making either the bottles or the fiber. So it's a true partnership. The partnership also, what's really great for Loop uh, is that partnership also, the joint venture pays a royalty back to Loop as a percentage of revenue. So it's really the holy grail if you think about what an industrial technology needs. Strategic partner, investing money at the parent sure. level, investing money at the plant level to expand the technology, and paying us back a royalty. So it was a, it's really a fantastic uh, And what is the us. timing there? What On what date will production start in that facility? We're looking to break ground on the facility sometime at the end of next year or uh, early 23. And it takes about 18 months uh, of construction. So we really? probably, so why, why so far out? I mean, that's, that's 18 months from now. And, and you know, so really you're talking about three years from now. Well, it that takes time. It's a chemical process, right? So you have to get the right permitting. So government permitting for chemical uh, processes takes a little bit of time. You know, it's not just a warehouse somewhere where we're, it's, where it's not Amazon where you're just shuffling boxes around. This is a petrochemical technology. So permitting takes time, you know, and, and that's probably the longest lead time is once you identify the site, you start working yeah. on the permitting. Permitting can take anywhere from six months to two years. Uh, you know, the European permitting is a little bit longer. So uh, those are the first things you do. And then once that happens, you break ground and you start building. But permitting takes a while. So you're really looking that you're really going to be a good three plus years out till you'll see real revenues flowing into, into Loop. In Asia, from the Asian yeah. partnership. Yeah, yeah. We're our Beconcourt Quebec facility that we're working on. So again, the same engineering package for Quebec is being used in Asia and in Europe. For the Quebec facility, that one we're targeting on breaking ground uh, by the end of this year. That's our goal. And it's still an 18-month process there. So again, you'll figure... 18 months. That, that's a good 24 months before you see any revenue. Correct. Yeah. Look, it takes... In industrial technologies, it takes... You know, the reactors on the polymerization side, they take 14 months to build them. Oh, so yeah. Take, I, take, I, take 14 months to build them, have them shipped on site, then installed. It takes... Those are... That's an industrial technology. And the fine tuning to get it to work. I mean, you know, I have there, there are, here in the San Francisco Bay Area where I am, there are the other these Chevron refineries up in Richmond. Yep. Used to uh, work near them and be around them. And there's constant retooling and fixing and adjusting and adjusting and adjusting by some of the greatest chemical engineers in the world. Uh, oh, that's that's the challenging thing with industrial technology. When do you stop innovating? Stop tinkering? Stop improving? And say, okay. The market says, I need to get to market, I need to produce a product, and then you continue your innovative innovation. And that's something that, you know, for, for a CEO, you always want to be the best. You always want to have the best, latest, and greatest, but at a certain point, you do have to build. And so we really push the innovation side at Loop where, you know, we have a team of like a 35 chemists and another, you know, 25 engineers working on this process. So there's guys working on the commercial side, but there's also the R&D factor and saying, well, how can we get better for plant number 
three, four, and five, and how can we make it more efficient? So I'm constantly challenging the team to, to get better on, on that aspect, and we've been successful so far. I can tell yeah. you, talking yeah. a bit about reactors at a demonstration scale, to make sure you have the right reactors with the right agitators, even at smaller scale, it's a two year, it took us two years by the time you identify the company, do testing with them, they're a, a European company, going sending our guys there, doing testing. Once we were confident, you know, order the equipment, have it uh, built, brought it back to Montreal at our demonstration facility, install it and get six months of performance. That's a two 24 month process. And that's why building uh, you know, industrial technologies takes so much time because you really have to vet it out properly. Now, you guys, uh, at the end of last year, as, as if COVID wasn't fun enough, in the middle of October last year, you guys got subpoenaed by the Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, and there's an investigation ongoing. I wonder what the status of that. It was, it, it, according to your, your SEC filings, um, it said that they were going to want to see some results from these tests of both your Gen 1 and Gen 2 process. Sure. We're giving them all the information they need. You know, it was it, it, it came out because of, you know, a false Hindenburg, a short seller report that was motivated by, you know, financial to, to manipulate our stock price lower so they would, uh, you know, uh, have a financial game, typical short seller. And it was a report that was false, misleading information. So we provided the all Hindenburg of, report that came, it came out right about the same time, right? It came out sometime. In, yeah, it was well. The SEC was triggered by the Hindenburg report. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're providing all the information to the SEC. Obviously, we have a great technology or SK wouldn't have invested that much money into this and invest, you know, the amount of money that we're putting into these plans. So, we, you know, we're giving all of the information, providing the SEC with everything that they need. But well, at have, the end of the day, now. Well, we're cooperating with them. So whatever they need, we provide them the information. And, you know, it's a process that they have to go through. We respect what they're doing. Obviously, they're doing their job. And we provide them with the information. But for us, you know, we know we have the best technology out there. The yeah. SK deal proves it because if SK found that there was a better company to deal with, they would have been dealing with someone else and not us. And so, what, you know. What was false about the, the loop report uh, that uh, Hindenburg Research put out? Well, it was all, I don't know if you had a chance, if you read the report, but it was all innuendos. It was all trying to make these assumptions, nothing rooted in any type of facts, uh, any picture. I just, I, as, a, as a journalist, sometimes I would get people say, the, your story is incorrect. Which part? Well, just well, generally. Whole, everything. I mean, everything about it. If you talk about the technology, you know, they tried to provide some pictures of, you know, the technology at lab scale. You know, we went back and you said, okay, well, where did those come from? Because obviously everything, everything is documented in the company. And so it came from 2016 when we were doing it lab scale from our Gen 1 technology. And it was a test that was trying to see the impact of water on the process. And it's irrelevant to everything, but they tried to take that and spin it into something saying that our technology doesn't work, which is completely false. You know, these guys, they're not, they don't actually do any due diligence. They don't come to the facility. They don't talk to people. They don't actually get data. They just, you know, put it out there, you know, put it on the wall and see what sticks oh. and then, and then try to create this, uh, you know, illusions and things like that. So it, as, you know, a, as, a, as a recovering uh, uh, investor, I'll, I'll say that, you know, I, I never liked the narrative that that the short seller was motivated by money, as if the people selling stock or the or the analysts who are who are investment banking also aren't motivated by money. It's capitalism. We're all motivated by money. At the end of the day, we had SK was already doing their due diligence before that, so we started the real technical due diligence in September with SK. So they had already seen six months, six weeks of due diligence. 
So when the report came out, they weren't phased at all because they knew everything in the report was already false. But they did a tremendous amount of due diligence on the technical side, legal side, financial side, you know, hiring experts and things. But, you know, so that was a great process for us to go through and keep completely that deal just completely nullifies everything in that, you know, uh, bogus short seller report. I got I to imagine it was pretty upsetting. What was that like when the report came out? Yeah, obviously it causes a lot of, you know, uh, confusion and it's more of a distraction than anything else, right? So the employees, you got to think about the employees, how they feel about it, and you got to reassure them. And so it's a, it's a big process. And obviously our potential customers, our partners, everybody, the good thing is that anybody that actually knows Loop and has been to our facility and knows the technology, they weren't really phased by it. Obviously they ask you questions, you know, especially European companies, they don't have short selling in Europe. So it's very difficult to explain to European companies what a short seller is and where this motivation comes from. But at the end of the day, like I said, they have their own due diligence. You know, our partners like at Danon, they've done such an amount of due diligence on the technology, bringing waste plastic from France, having it processed at our facilities, taking the resulting monomers, have it polymerized. I mean, they do their own work independently. So, um, it causes it that. causes chaos. It causes a distraction, but um, you know, at the end of the day, six months later, it's a non-issue. As my mom always says, the proof's in the pudding. I guess in your case, it would be in the the proof would be in the plastic. And once you if you get it made, you'll prove them wrong, and if you don't, they'll be, they'll be proven right. Yep, that's right. Oh, <clears> we have really to appreciate your time, Daniel. I appreciate your time and appreciate your joining us here in the drill down. Daniel Salamita is the CEO of Loop. All right, coming up next on The Drill Down, the bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And hey, leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Tell everyone else what you think of The Drill Down. Maybe they'll find this show and enjoy it half as much as you do. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Okay, we're back with a drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. This is, of course, about Loop. Well, Loop has spent so much money and thus far doesn't have anything to show for. We heard a lot about those deals, but of course, there's no product. How much have they spent? The accumulated deficit for Loop without a product after so many years here is $90 million in the last quarter that they reported. That compares to 40, 53 million in the year ago period in the most in the February quarter. So big losses, accelerating losses, that accumulated deficit is massive, Isaac. Uh, and we'll see if they can get to the other side by actually producing some product. Don't you have to spend money to make money? True. You also can spend money to lose money. Time will tell. Spending money does not mean you're going to make money. If only that were true for me. All right, well, thank you very much for listening to The Drill Down. We really do appreciate your time. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.